Dan Pfefferman. And I'm Benny Shoulder, and welcome to Jewanced. We're two Jewish guys. We grew up in America. We live in Israel. And we're looking to challenge popular conceptions, think critically, examine independently, and most of all, seek nuance. Each episode, we'll host a different guest. Together, we'll take a deep dive into politics, foreign affairs, religion, science, technology, food, the arts, business, you name it. A lot of it will deal with the Jewish world in Israel, but not all. Our goal? To create a platform where people share their stories, insights, and visions. No talking points, no script, no agenda. Just a deeper, nuanced understanding of the world around us. Join us as we explore, think, debate, and discuss, and perhaps most of all, listen. Juanced. You know, like like nuanced, but with a J? Yeah, they get it. Dude, let's just start. Greetings out there in podcast land. It's uh, Benny and Dan coming at you with another episode of Juanced Live. Uh, today we're joined by Russell Robinson, CEO of JNF USA. How you doing, Russell? I'm doing great. How are you two doing? We're doing amazing over here. Thank awesome. you so much for joining uh, us. So it's raining or it's not raining? Kind of in between. In betweenish. Okay. But we don't have the snow that you guys got going on over there. So, uh, you know, better better you than us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before before we get going here, uh, I just wanted to ask you, Dan. There's a lot going on lately. Uh, for people that don't know, Dan's really involved with the UAE Israel Dialogue. He's one of the co-founders of the UAE Israel Business Council, and uh, it just seems like like dominoes knocking over one after the other. Here we got we got Morocco now. How how's that going to affect your? Uh... <laughs> We're going to have to add uh, another name to the uh, to the acronym U- UAE Bahrain Morocco Sudan. It's going to get too, Israel too long. Business Council. No, it's 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 unbelievable um, to think. I mean, could you have imagined six months ago, six months ago, could you have imagined that four Arab countries would normalize relations? Each one is its own fascinating story. And of course, there's a a strategic aspect. It's not all, you know, lovey-dovey. We want to be friends with Israel. But uh, just this week, just this week, a a first delegation of non-governmental Emiratis and Bahrainis came to Israel through uh, an NGO called uh, Sharaka, connected to reservists uh, on duty or reservists on the front, uh, fantastic group uh, doing Israel advocacy. And I happened to be friends with some of these people on the trip. I had the pleasure of meeting them, spending, eating dinner with them, going out to drinks with them and, and just talking. And uh, it's unbelievable. Um, their, their experience is, it seems to be life-changing. Um, and these people who are, who are social media influencers, who are government advisors, these kind of people, um, they're going to go back and they're going to share something that people in in the Arab world really didn't know about Israel. So first of all, it's not a war zone, at least the entire time, and at least most of the country's not. They're going to go back and say people were really genuinely nice to us. They're going to go back and they after they toured Yad Vashem and share their what seemed to be an incredibly emotional experience there. And, and uh, I'm hopeful for the first time in 20 years. I'm truly and honestly hopeful about what this does for the region. And it's nothing short of, of, I don't want to say miraculous, but it is a hugely strategic realignment of the Middle East. I've been talking about for years in my lectures about a realignment of the Middle East. This pushes that 
easily a decade, two decades forward in one fell swoop. And and we could be seeing more countries. There's talks about Pakistan. Uh, there's talks about even, even rumors about Saudi Arabia making some kind of big move before the uh, Trump administration ends. It's, it's really unbelievable. Um, but we've also had a crazy week or uh, kind of a couple of weeks regarding the uh, COVID vaccination. Yeah, it's it seems like uh, at least here in Israel that we're right around the corner from some sort of a very big mass vaccination drive. Um, there are certain media reports that indicate that they'll be able to do up to 60,000 vaccinations a day, which is incredible. Yeah. I, I was actually just looking at the distribution of covid vaccines into the in, in the particular, you know, specific states of the United States. And I think that like my home state of Minnesota was expected to receive only 48,000 vaccines in total uh, in, in you know, the month of January or something like that. And to think that we here in Israel are going to be able to do above that in, you know, every day, if that happens, that's, that's purely, you know, I, I was listening to amazing. our health minister, Yuli Edelstein yesterday on the news. Um, we could be almost entirely vaccinated as far as people who want to get vaccinated. Um, and, and he was, he didn't quite commit to it, but he was optimistic that we could be having Pesach together. That'd be awesome. Um, not me and him. I mean, yeah. people with their families could be having Pesach together. If, I mean, if <laughs> I had Pesach be, with, have Pesach with Yuli Edelstein, that'd be great, uh, but we don't. Um, but before we get to our special guest today, we just have a couple of announcements. A couple of quick announcements. So, so check it out, everybody. Uh, Juanced is, of course, a listener-supported podcast. Uh, your support and support of other listeners like you is crucial to make sure that we're able to deliver the best possible content and experiences that, uh, that you can get. Uh, so whether you are a regular listener or this is your first time, if you enjoy experiences like these uh, and you'd like to see us continue growing by leaps and bounds, please consider uh, donating today. Uh, you can make a one-time donation to our PayPal. You can make a ongoing contribution to Patreon. Uh, swag is coming. We do promise juanced swag yep. for those who make an ongoing contribution to our show, however big or however small it is. So if uh, if you're interested in that or if your company or organization is looking to uh, to a sponsor, we can absolutely do sure. sponsorship uh, here, on, here on the air. So uh, look us up. Give us a call. Uh, www.juanced.com. Yep. And one last quick announcement. So, yeah. So just like on this show, we are, uh, you know, supposedly engaging, we're inquisitive, and we're witty in person. And we can bring that unique talent in bringing out complexity, nuance, and captivating content um, out of the studio door and into your community experience. So if you're interested in hosting a live dedicated podcast with audience participation, whether virtual or hopefully soon in person, or you want to have us moderate your organization or community's next uh, panel event, we've got the perfect solution for you. Plus, with our extensive network and connections to a broad range of fascinating guests on a range of topics, we have got you covered. For more information on how to engage Juanced for your next event, please contact us at www.juanced.com. Russell Robinson, how you doing, man? I'm great. Benny, you want to introduce our special guest today? I would love to introduce our special guest today. Uh Russell Robinson has served as the Jewish National Fund's chief executive officer uh, since September of 1997. Uh, so that would definitely place me in like something in, in junior high school, probably. Uh, You're supposed to make those comparisons. I understand. I know. Which means that you spent the majority of your professional life as a dedicated leader for the Jewish people. 
Under Russell's leadership, the JNF has been instrumental in developing successful programs for Israel's water crisis, Zionist advocacy and education, community development, environmental work, and the sustainable development of the Negev and the Galilee, all of which play a significant role in the quality of life for all Israelis, and I would argue for Jews worldwide. Under his direction, the JNF launched its $1 billion roadmap campaign and has become one of the most recognized nonprofits for its work, business management, financial integrity, and volunteer involvement. Robinson is featured in the best-selling management book, The 24-Hour Turnaround, How Amazing Entrepreneurs Succeed in Tough Times, and has appeared on TV, radio, and newspapers throughout the world representing the JNF. Did I catch everything there? or, or uh... Are those some of the highlights? I'm sure I, they I, I learned some myself here. <laughs> Welcome to Juanst. Uh, it's it's truly an honor to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing terrific, and thank you both for having uh, uh, me and representing the Jewish National Fund, and to be part of your uh, Nuance Juanst uh, podcast. I think it's a incredible program, and and looking forward to doing much more in the future with you. Thanks thank so you. much. Yeah, and we actually had a, a bit of a crossover. Uh, I got to appear on JNF's uh, podcast, Israel Cast. Fantastic with uh, Stephen Shalowitz, and uh, we talked about regional development and my Alia story and all sorts of amazing things. So uh, definitely looking forward to more collaboration in the future. Um, you've got a backdrop of Jerusalem, but where, where are you speaking to us from today? I'm speaking from the uh, international headquarters of uh, the Jewish world, my basement in Livingston, uh, <laughs> New Jersey. But uh, we had a snowstorm, but I've been in the office for the past couple of months, but uh, the snow kept me down here in the bunker fantastic well we hope you're staying warm and staying Russell, safe dan and i were talking a little bit with you before this uh and i think it's a good place to start um the three of us happen to be uh what we kind of you know in a in a pokingly friendly way referred to as flyover jews originally i'm from minneapolis dan's from south bend and you're from el paso yeah so i i we were talking earlier about it because i think it is Listen, the majority of the Jewish community obviously lives in the Los Angeles area, the New York area, Chicago and Florida. Right. But there is a it's an interesting story about the American Jewish community, how it came about. What is it? Why is it uh, represented? I think that uh, um, people should get to know the community that is out there. It is a different Jewish community. It doesn't have the the uh it's not so easy to be a jew in south bend and even in minneapolis which is a little bit larger you have to work at it and i think that 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 does create an opportunity for a lot of the jewish community that is there so what's it like uh growing up in el paso texas um i just learned uh, in our prep call that it is actually is this true it's closer to los angeles than it is to the other side of texas as, no, even, even, even more so. Between El Paso and Dallas. Mm. Dallas is almost halfway through Texas. So that means Texas is just massive. The same distance from El Paso to Los Angeles, it is to El Paso to Dallas. Wow. What's it like growing up on the Mexico border out in the, in the southwest and in a very small Jewish community? What, about 1,500 people? Is that right? Yeah, when I grew up, it was about 1,500 if you counted everybody, whether they wanted to be counted or not. Um <laughs> Uh, again, you had to you had to work on it. You you uh, obviously you knew you were Jewish. There was all sorts of you know issues that came up. But but uh, and when you're younger, you don't realize that they're really issues. You know, it just becomes kind of natural. Later in life, you you see that maybe that that was anti-Semitic. Uh, uh, but you know, in a 
the majority of Jews, but in a small Jewish community especially, you know, you if you go to Talmud Torah class, if you go to Sunday school class, you are already different. Um, and uh, uh, a bar mitzvah is uh, not only a bar, bar mitzvah is not only just a party, it's a, it's a big, you know, different than the others that are that you're growing up with. And so I was one of those Jews that grew up disliking my Judaism uh, tremendously. I thought it was terrible. I, it took time away from me. It took time away from my sports. It took time away from my family, uh, you know, from friends. Uh, a bar mitzvah was a cash flow opportunity and a release from prison. And, uh, <laughs> and we know it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, can, so, I can definitely sympathize. Jewish, and I, I say to the Jewish community today, we have to, we have to keep thinking about that customer because we can't keep doing that and hoping for the best. Right. And when, especially, you know, uh, something we can talk about later, especially in I think today's America, and maybe even it always was, but I think more so. It's just very easy to just stop being Jewish because you can be American. You can just be, a, you know, a, a generic, uh, no offense to Americans. You could just be an American. You don't have to be a hyphenated American uh, anymore. Like maybe, you know, in previous decades, Jews kind of weren't allowed to, to fully assimilate. And, and today it's a lot easier. Yeah, listen, you could you could not be anything and right. you can be anything. And, you know, it's a competitive marketplace. And if you're going to have a competitive marketplace, and I don't want to put Judaism like it's a sale item, but but you have to you have to think of it as an investment item. Um, and and if you have that investment and you have other investments, well then how do you make it different? Well, first off, quit saying oy vey. <laughs> uh, I I have no understanding. You're in a business community, uh, Daniel. You're you're building business relationships uh, with the U, UAE. You know, and you could say there's a lot of issues with the peace agreement. But one of the opportunities that they have and that they're seizing is in our agricultural and our water products and our high tech. Now, if we kept telling the world, oi vey, oi, we don't grow so well. Oi, we're growing well today, but it may not be very good tomorrow. Who's going to come and want to be part of this? But that's what we do as a Jewish community. Oi, we're, everybody hates us. Oi, we're dwindling. Oi, well, I have to tell you, the Jewish community has grown. In America, we're up to almost nine and a half, ten million Jews. We've grown by 10%. Everybody that has written the obituary of the Jewish community is wrong. And we're great. And we offer to this community, to every community we live in, greatness and our connection to Israel is about who we are as a soul, as a people, and it's great. And if we talk in real terms, not just fluffy terms, people want to say, "Hey, I want to keep investing in that." So, like, okay, it's 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 terrific. I agree with you one hundred percent, hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand percent. That's a lot of percent. Uh, it's a lot of percents, but a lot. Uh, you're a big investor. Yeah, I don't think he knows math. It's I'm a problem. Just you know, take a couple <laughs> zeros off. I don't know. Um, Yet it still seems that there are great many people in various levels of, of, you know, positions in their organizations or in their communities that would be naysayers to that and would say, oi, the assimilation, you know, the Jewish community, oh, the yes. youth is not engaged with Israel. Youth is not engaged. Anti-Semitism. Everyone hates Israel. Let's not forget the Holocaust, right? Those are kind of the four right. and, and, of the Jewish and, community. And the 
I don't want to call it a narrative because it's not a narrative. It's, it's the reality of what you just expressed is precisely what I always try to expose and, and, and showcase when people come to Israel on a program or something that I've been involved with, which is to say, Israel's an amazing place. It's a dynamic, engaging, fun, amazing, you know, pick your superlative here, but it's, it's actually true that this is a, this is a, this is a country that is not, you know, we're not on our knees, poor, you know, holding our hand out. And on the contrary, it's, it's how do, you know, we're, we're a country that's able to be a, a great support to the Jewish community in the United States or the Jewish communities around the world. And we're a big family. Uh, how do you explain that? I mean, what's. So organizations, first off, they're wrong. Okay. So let me just be very clear. Organizations sometimes want to perpetuate the organizations and they found ways that, and they not have found new ways to to realize the 21st century. So let me tell you, in 1967, and excuse me, 19 yeah 67, there was a magazine. I think it was Look Magazine. It was a magazine, one of those paper things that used to come to your home, and uh, uh, we delivered a lot of news in it. And they wrote a thing. The front page was diminishing Jew. This was a general magazine, not a Jewish magazine. And they predicted in 1967, by the year 2000, the Jewish community of the United States would be 2 million people. Orthodox Jewry would be almost gone in America. Reform Judaism would be almost gone. And the only thing would be around would be conservative Judaism and dwindling. Okay, look, magazines out of business. <laughs> We're nine and a half million. Orthodox Jewry is growing. You can't find enough rabbis for the young Israel congregations around the country. Reformed Judaism is growing. Conservative Judaism is having its issues. There are thousands of thousands of thousands of young people. The word assimilation in itself is a detriment to our people. Assimilation means if you're in business, right? I talk to you. Are you interested in buying a car? Are you a car owner? Yes. Are you ever interested in buying a car? Yes. Have you bought a car from us lately? No. Well, you're an assimilated car buyer. Instead, what do they say? You're a qualified buyer. So they do all these demographic studies. And because somebody doesn't belong to a synagogue, doesn't belong to a JCC, they're assimilated. Wait, maybe they didn't like that system. Maybe that's not what's going to be part of their life today, but they're qualified. They already said they're Jewish. They're already connecting to it. You're in the, you've been in the travel. How many people come? It's their first trip to Israel. Why? Why is it that we even market the way we do with Israel? Because it's a place that you could come, touch, feel, and be part of, be excited. Quit talking about the hallways of the Knesset. It's not important to the Jews. Talk about the streets of Beersheba and Kiryat Shemona, Rehovot, in Yoracham. Come and be part. At Jewish Ashafon, we always say it. Be part of the people, not as big brother anymore, but as a partner with the people of Israel and help develop new narratives in the north and in the south. Be part of the conversation. Our donors, I can tell you, I will match them with anybody. They don't know the projects we're doing. They know the vision we're doing, and they know the people they're involved with. They can tell you the mayor of the Aravah is, and I guarantee you that if I took a survey in Israel, 80% of the people in Israel don't know who the mayor of the Aravah is, but I can give you thousands of our people that do, or the mayor of Kiryat Shemona or Akko, 
And that's what we have to build. And that's what we're trying to do at Jewish National Film, that new conversation. That's yeah, it's fascinating. And oh. it's really refreshing to yeah. hear that. I mean, I, and I love hearing the positive energy, too. Right. You know, it's not it's not uh, there's anti-Semitism. Please donate to us. You know, it's um, I, I, in one of the things I do, I work uh, at, the, at the Jewish People Policy Institute and I'm trying my hardest to uh, finish up a book. Uh, and I actually talk about the decline of the Jewish middle. And I said, it's not happening. I said, we have is a, and, and I take all the recent surveys of, um, of, of the American Jewish community from all, from a lot of major communities. And yeah, obviously I don't report on all of them, but I look at Boston and I look at, you know, um, I look at Boston and Washington DC and, and a lot of these bigger communities that have recent studies. And, uh, and I show, look, we, if you're talking about a decline, no, you have a decline in, in institutional affiliation. Yes, you have less people going to JCCs and federations and synagogue memberships. But if you look at actual Jewish behavior, and I have the numbers, I have the numbers, I'm going to publish this, and, and you know, God willing, it'll come out in the next few months, uh, hopefully we'll be done with the editing. And I can very clearly show what you have is when you look at Jewish behavior and Jewish sentiment of what we call millennials and younger and say, do you like candles? Do you go to services in some way or another? Uh, do you celebrate the holidays? Do you read Israel or Jewish websites and seek out actively seek out Jewish content? There is no decline today from the previous generation to today's generation. There, there's no decline. There's a decline in people. Um, there, there's a rise in people calling themselves just Jewish, which is, is a mistake to say that they're, they're assimilating. Okay. They just don't like labels from to, to, maybe from previous to generations use, to use russell's metaphor they just they don't want to buy a used car yeah right and and by the way the jew is a verb it's not a noun yeah it's our action and 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 it's what we're all about and 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 you know when you do it passover <laughs> I, I i just tell people think passover sales over the past 10 years of matzah has increased every single year hmm. wait who's buying it yeah. Must be those people that don't want to be Jewish. I guess people couldn't wait to have matzah. Okay? Um, why? Because they are. Now, we have to realize where they're at. Now, you went to, uh, Benny, to uh, Alexander Musk High School in Israel. Yes, I did. From Minneapolis. The Jewish National Fund, why did we acquire that school? You know, think about it. We're a fundraising organization. We have projects in Israel. And now we have an institute with parents, teachers, and students. Okay? Uh, not like, a, you know, the easiest thing in the world to deal with. I, I, but we I, do. You, Go did, ahead. you didn't just buy the school. You saved the school, essentially. Well, but we saved it. But, but we saved it, yes. But we did it for us. Because... 97% of the Jewish community do not go to Jewish day school. Okay, listen to the number. 97% do not go to Jewish day school. So I think Jewish day school is great, my own kids. But 97% do not go. So Mus High School attracts people to come for a semester abroad experience academically will return them to their public or private school at or above their academic level. They'll come back with their biology and their AP calculus. That's for the parents and for their college uh, resume. For us as a Jewish people, we give them 4,000 years of Jewish history, loving, learning, and living in the land. And so that campus, we had 600 plus students when we bought it. 
We're now almost at 1,500 a year American students coming from public and private schools. So, Benny, I don't know where you went to school, Incredible. public or private? Public school. Okay. So the Jewish community is also going to a lot of day schools, not Jewish day schools. So we have to capture them. And during high school is the most memorable, most important moment of their life. I, I, everything we do in college is great, but it's too late. Right. And let's capture those leaders in high school and let's create them into invested Jews, into Jews as verbs, as in Jews as being part of it. And we'll keep building our Jewish community. And that's why we're even building a new campus and a Zionist village down in Beersheba. That's awesome. I, I would say, you know, to anybody that's that's doubting this, Alexander Moss High School in Israel was the singular most transformative experience that I ever had in my life as a Jew. Period. End of story. Nothing else comes close. Nikuda, period. Uh, I went into that program a typical American Jewish high school student in, in my town, maybe a little bit more engaged than others because I was more involved with, with just learning. I'm a little bit more perhaps uh, curious. But after that program, I remember coming back to the United States. I, you know, it's, it's, I remember walking into my house the day after I returned home from the program. And at all at the same time, you know, you have these experiences where it's like you feel like so much time has passed, but no time has passed at all. Yeah. You know, I walked into the house. Person. I'm a different person. The whole the house looks the same. The hallways look the same. The, you know, the plant is where it was left. The papers are, you know, where they were, whatever it was. But I looked around the house and I basically just broke down and I said, what am I doing here? Like, this is like, this is just weird. I can't believe I had this experience. And I met so many different people from all around the United States, American Jewish kids from around the United States. And I remember that summer afterwards, you know, I, I just, I traveled around the United States trying to, you know, connect with my, with, with my new friends. And suddenly, and Russell, you're absolutely right. You're in high school. It's not a college thing. You're still living with your parents. Uh, but for the first time, you feel like you have this authentic identity and, and authentic uh, um, connection. That's much more than just what you would have had if you were, uh, if you had not had the experience, or I would argue to say, if you only went to Israel for the first time on uh, on, a, on a program in college, and I don't want to say to the detriment of birthright because birthright is a terrific program, but it it definitely is a different thing. It's it's spending a quantity of time in Israel that's significant enough at that age at that age yeah. that you're not just on a trip. It's 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 a it's a life experience. So Benny, I'll give you a statistic. It's a scary one. If you want to take a scan of the Jewish community, right? You're going to say, okay, we have some problems, so let's figure out what the, some of the, the medicine is, right? 25 years ago, the Jewish community was taking 19,300 teenagers on programs to Israel of four weeks or more. 25 years later, 3,100. Wow. Okay? That's a huge... So, Look, at, you can, a lot of people can argue, well, that's maybe not it. I don't know if it is. I can only tell you that I did a body scan, right? And the arm that's injured, this seems to be a statistic. Let's deal with that. So a Jewish National Fund, and by the way, if you want to go to Muss High School, any of your listeners out there, go to jnf.org, click on to Muss High School, and, and find out about it. And, and listen to Benny. But we're going to be launching a program in the next months that's going to be able to give people up to $7,500 off 
of our program as well as two or three other programs of four weeks or more. Because at Jewish National Fund, we want all ships to rise. And so we're looking at other teen programs that are going for four weeks or more and helping to fund them. Now, some people say, well, is that competition? No, because we're in the Jewish community building business. And at Jewish National Fund, we're ready to make those investments, as we are when we're building our brand new village, I'll talk to you later about it, in Beersheba, that's going to bring the Jewish community from throughout the world together for a new conversation. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, and good for you guys. I mean, that that's really, you know, uh, in an age of kind of institutional competition, we had a good friend from the AJC on a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's like, no, we need to work together. We're not in competition with each other. We're, we need to, we're all, we all have the same mission in the end. Um, I want to take a step back. Um, how does a guy uh, from a small Jewish community in the corner of the country um, rise to be one of the Jerusalem Post's top 50 Jewish influential people and, and the long-serving and, and by all accounts successful head of one of the biggest Jewish organizations in the world? Uh, tell us just kind of your Jewish story, how you, how you got to this point. So I want to tell the, 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 the simpler one. Look, at, I, I told you I didn't like my Judaism. Uh, I was, uh, went off to school and uh, I, I really, my bar mitzvah, you know, I thought that when the rabbi, you know, kind of a sick thing about my head, I guess, you know, when the rabbi, uh, I knew when it was coming because all of our friends knew that there was a moment when the rabbi would turn to you and say, and Russell, you're going to continue your Jewish studies. And it was on the Thursday night practice of the bar mitzvah, right? And my parents were there. My grandparents were there. My, I love my grandfather. He was there. And, and I was waiting for this moment for like three years to be able to turn to the rabbi and say, Rabbi, and when I say amen on Saturday, amen, I'm gone. I'm never showing up here again. That's how much, you know, I, and, and to show you how bad it was, I waited for that moment. Wow. So you disengage. I, I will tell you that when I was a senior in high school, one of my friends asked me to come to a BBYO convention. He, there was somebody paying for it to go. He said, you know, you, you, there's some girls there. We'll have some fun. Uh, he lied to me. He said, there'll be alcohol. Okay, so, you know, uh, I went. <laughs> and it was the first time that I saw Jews having fun. Because... What? Not And my parents were, were great, positive people, but the Jewish community that I knew was Oive. Mm. And all of a sudden, I, it was kind of hit me. Uh, but I didn't engage. I still disengaged. And there was gonna, a guy in El Paso was going to start a summer resident camp for Jews of Albuquerque and El Paso up in New Mexico, mm -hmm. a two-week camp. I'd never been to camp in my life. I'd never been to day camp. I never, but, you know, I had a, a small business and he did, he lied to me like every uh, Jewish organization does. He says, don't worry, you don't have to do anything. Um, uh, and uh, I always say that's the biggest Jewish lie. But when they tell you that, always know you got to do a lot. I didn't do that much, but he got, he got fired from the JCC two weeks before the camp. And he packed up his car and he left. And we've been working on this camp. We had like 250 kids and we worked on the camp all year. And I said, how hard can it be? I'm running a business to run a camp. I found it was the hardest job of my Wait, life. How old, how old are you during this time? I'm, a, I'm in my early 20s. Okay. And uh, so I decided as a volunteer, I'll run the camp for the two weeks. And 
all of a sudden I saw kids crying, lighting Shabbos candles because they had never lit one before. Wow. And, you know, you looked around. It's it kind of, I'm sure, the experiences that you could talk about in other small towns. And I got in, I got in love with it. The story goes that I sold my business. I came and ran the JCC. I then came to the National UJ, and I was leaving there 22 years ago uh, to go back into private industry. And Ronald Lauder from SD Lauder became the president of the Jewish National Fund. Right. I did not know him then. Uh, he called me. I it was, it was a funny story. I had a friend kept calling me, telling me Ben Gurion's on the phone. My secretary, you know, <laughs> it was always him. So he said it was like eight o'clock in the morning, and she said Ronald Lauder's on the phone. I didn't know why Ronald Lauder, so I thought it was my friend. So I said, uh, listen, Mr. Lauder, I need 200 tons of cold cream. And all of a sudden, this voice comes. He says, okay. I said, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, he said, he wanted to see me. So I figured, why not? You know, I mean, I didn't know what he wanted to see me. So about an hour into the meeting, he's telling me about Jewish National Fund. And, what he, and I said, Mr. Lauder, I... I know a little bit about why am I here? He said, well, you're going to be the new CEO. <laughs> and I said, I, I'm not. First off, I don't know what you're talking about. Second, I'm looking at another position that I'm going to sign a contract. And he goes, you don't want to do that. You want to do this. And he it's the whole story about it was a fun harassment for a couple of days, even calling my wife and telling her. <laughs> and, and, and finally, he told me, he said, Russell, it's just much easier to say yes. And I thought about it, and I say this to everybody listening and viewing today. Think about it. And I'm very proud to say this constantly. What other billionaire do you know that has involved themselves in institutional organizations? Not Ronald runs a huge foundation, and he could say, okay, we're going to spend a dollar here, and everybody around the table says yes. When you come and involved into an institution, he has a board of directors. That he, that he could buy and sell. And I said, if he's dreaming like this, if he's dreaming about Israel, what he wants to do in the Negev and for water, I got to join this crazy guy. Mm. And I have to tell you, for 22 years, it's been very few days that I've regretted. I've been able to work with him when he said, we got to solve the water catastrophe in Israel. 22 years ago, yeah. Google it. Everybody said by the year 2020, Israel would be completely out of water. The, the Middle East would. Yeah, right. I remember. Ronald said, we got to take care of it. I said, Mr. Lauder, to be quite honest, I know water comes out of the faucet. <laughs> but I have to tell you, we studied. And all these years later, the Jewish National Fund across the world, all of us, 13.5% of water in Israel is provided by the 250 reservoirs and recycling centers built and started by Jewish National Fund. That's incredible. Okay. we re Israel always talks about we reuse 90% of our water. I will show you letters from 20 and 22 years ago and 19 years ago. And people said, Russell, you cannot sell sewage water to philanthropy. Hmm. They're not going to buy it. Not and they did buy it. Wow. It's incredible. And I've seen these... Uh... I've seen these these uh, water recycling plants, and it's true. We we recycle our sewage water to a level that we don't drink it, but to a level that it is safe to drink. Here right. and and we're the only um, last time, if my no, if my memory serves me correct, when I had the tour of the biggest recycling water recycling plant in the country in uh, 
outside of Rishon Lezion. Shafdan. The Shafdan. They said the next country that gets even close to us is Spain, and they're at about 30% of their water being recycled. A so little less, good. but you're very good. Okay. The United States is 4%. 4%. We, Israel reuses every drop of water. Life, Mayim Lachayim, every drop of water over and over. When you see down in the Arava, from the Dead Sea to a lot, they get two inches of rain a year, and it all comes about 24 hours. Yeah. And yet they're producing 55% of the peppers that are exported, 50% of the melons. Yeah, it's incredible. They produce tomatoes and 25% of the fish that is consumed in Israel. That is called partnership, Jewish National Fund, the people of Israel, and a good Yiddish cup. <laughs> right. So, so tell us a little bit about um, Jewish National Fund and, and and explain to us maybe the relationship to Keren Kayemet Israel, which we usually translate as the Jewish National Fund. But so talk us through kind of just to understand the organization and its Israeli um, counterpart, if you don't mind. So, so the Jewish National Fund and Keren Kayemet all come from the same father, grandfather from Theodor Herzl. We were all began in 1901. The, the idea was to repurchase. And I always tell people repurchase the land of Israel, not to say that it was ours because of biblical or because of legal. I think we could have won that argument. But, but Theodore Herzl and the people who thought about it said, listen, let's raise money and repurchase every acre by acre of land. By the way, it gives Israel one of the only nations in the world with a purchase order uh, of, of its existence. And uh, um over the years, there's always been a, a relationship that has built things like the city of Tel Aviv. 104 years ago, came 65 housing lots were at a lottery of uh, the Jewish Ashvan Karen Kayemet uh, that started uh, Tel Aviv. The first street in Tel Aviv, Rothschild Boulevard, was built by Karen Kayemet. Uh, so, so it's a constant relationship, and and over time. Um, institutions in Israel have their political uh, uh, connections, the Karen Kayemet, the Jewish Agency, uh, the WZO, the, the um, Karen Hayasod, uh, are all have this, this political piece. We have no relationship with that. We're not involved in the political part. We have no seats on their board. They have no seats on our board. And over time, listen, when you're doing the philanthropy and you have to invest it, it's one of the most uh, uh, important responsibilities that you'll have as a human being. Why, when you travel, you give somebody tzedakah? Because they will go in peace and they will go in health by delivering the tzedakah for you. Well, I believe that's our responsibility. We're taking tzedakah, we have to deliver it. So we have our own board of directors, we have our own operation as well. We work with Karen Kayemeth as needed, as you know, the programs go. But we then have over 65 affiliates. What we decided to do at Jewish National fun was not to reinvent the wheel let's have vision let's decide what our objectives are and then under those objectives let's have the projects and let's find out who could help implement them so if we're working with people with disabilities i don't need to recreate that within my organization there is unbelievable organizations but then why work with disabilities now this is a dramatic statement it's not only because of disabilities it's in the negev and the galileo it's to bring 500,000 people to the negative. That was a vision that we set. And under that vision, we have made an unbelievable impact in Beersheba, in, in Yoracham, in the Gaza envelope, down to the Arava. Beersheba, when we started, was 190,000 people 17 years ago. 
losing 3% of its population per year. Yeah. I was Today, <laughs> hits 250,000 people, the fastest growing city in Israel. Go see our seven-mile river walk, our 29-acre lake, our 13,000-seat amphitheater. Go see what we have done in, in, in the Lauder Employment Center, bringing people from Ben-Gurion University and others to have jobs down the Negev. And soon, we're going to have a 21-acre World International Zionist Village in Beersheba and the Galil, 300,000 people. Go look at what we're already starting to do in Akka with our visitor center, what we're doing with a, a, a chamber of commerce and a small business association. And we're building the Galil Culinary Institute in Kiryat Shimona with a food technology center and a medical center because in that area, the population has gone down by 10,000 people over 25 years. Yeah. We have to bring 75,000 people there. You talk about peace in the area. You could talk about our, our power of our military. Absolutely true. The power of our people living in areas where have been dwindling in populations shows our, to the world our flag, we are here. That is the Jewish National Fund story. Right. That, I was going to say that's the historical heritage of the JNF. It's yeah. just, it, it, you know, if you look at the... Uh, how do you say it? If you look at the, we called it the the uh, the N shape of settlement in in the north of, of Israel, going up the coast, going to Haifa, going up towards Naharia, and then coming southeast over the Gilboa and up towards the Galilee Finger, uh, building and settling villages on the frontier to create the the borders of the state of Israel, uh, and and that was definitely something that JNF at that time was was instrumental in, and it's it's terrific that that's happening today. Does JNF also, uh, let's say, like contribute to the infrastructure of jobs in those areas? Is it? Is it uh, yeah, because that—I mean—that's one of the big. It's things. a lot of people. When to, you to when move you talk somewhere. when you talk to Israelis, and, and we've kind of had this conversation, um, in my own family. Last time we traveled to uh, the northern Galil and into the Golan, we said, "This is beautiful. This is this is such a beautiful part of the country. It's a much more relaxed lifestyle. I'd love to be able to move up here." And yet, everyone you talk to, it, it comes down to the fact that there's just no jobs up there. You know, so unless you're lucky enough to work remotely, you know, or you feel like commuting three hours to the to the center of the country every time. I mean, uh, have, have you thought about that? Um, as well, so why are we building in, in the greater Karen area? Our goal is to get it from 22, 23,000 people to 75,000 people. So we have to look. OK, that's great. Now, how change the narrative? So we spent with the people in the area, with our lay and professionals, two and a half years studying, listening. So we're building from all parts. Why are we building the Galileo Culinary Institute? And you can go on to uh, GCI, you know, Galileo Culinary Institute by JNF. The food that is produced up there is unbelievable. It really the is. The culinary from Israel is second to none. But why is the culinary from Israel second to none? It's because of who Israel is, 85 different nationalities. Yeah. So you get a Turkish Jew, Minigan Ashkenazi Jew, and then taking their cholent and adding their Turkish spice. And we got this new thing called the Israeli food, right? Mm -hmm. So let's build a culinary institute. Let's be like Cordon Bleu, one of the best in the world. Not a cooking school, a culinary institute. That people from throughout the world will come to want to get a, a diploma, and which we're going to have. It's going to be a two-year program. You're going to graduate with business acumen as well as culinary schools. We have Lior Lefser-Kaz as our director of our, our culinary part. We have Michael Solonoff, the, the first class is in his name. Oh, awesome. Uh, we're bringing top chefs in, in the Kiryat Shimona area. 
Now, with that, we're building a food technology center and a hub, and the government of Israel is giving uh, tax abatement, or what they call tax abatement, it's an American, American term, to companies to come to that area for a food technology uh, center. The next technology of the world is in food. Yeah, we got to produce food for the world, or people will starve. It will be up there in the area. So jobs, opportunity, and we. So then we realize there's no medical services there. So we're building a new medical center in Kiryat because if you're a young family and you got the job and the education, but there's no medical service, you're not moving up there. Exactly. So yeah. we're building that as an opportunity. Then we're building housing sites. There's been housing sites that are there. We're investing into them. And we're building from within the community. We call it our Macomb communities that are helping through young leaders and 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 Hashomer and, and Hugay Sairut, young people. So we're not leaving the community that's there behind. So holistically, we're going to build the strongest area. I'm going to tell you now, if you want a restaurant reservation in five years in Kiryat Shimona, you can call the Jewish National Fund. I'm, I'm going to note that you put a think tank up there and I'm moving myself. No, I'm just thinking about like, you know, the next time you have a group in Kiryat Shmona doing a, doing a culinary workshop at a school like that and, and really taking it out of Jerusalem and out of Tel Aviv and bringing it to the people. It's a you know, tremendous thing. Oh, it's, it's incredible. And, uh, and, and, you know, we go up there sometimes and it's just, yeah, it seems like it just was never able to take off the ground. You go to a place like Kiryat Shmona, you go to a place like, like uh, Bechan, you go to these kind of places and you're like, okay, it's, it, it feels just like it's been left behind. So it, it's wonderful to hear of uh, organizations, um, you, you know, that are really uh, putting where the, their, the money where their mouth is and, and trying to uh, turn it around. Um, because I'd love to see the north of Israel and the south of Israel, what we call the periphery here, get that kind of attention, that development attention that they really deserve. Because right now, you know, it's, it's uh, Haifa to Ashdod and then Jerusalem. Like that, that's what you have right now. And, and, and we do need to change that. So, Dan, I have to tell you, we started, we just built a lauder employment center up in Akko, which we have down in Beersheba. It's an opportunity to bring college students to link them to jobs. Now, we found in, in the Negev and in Beersheba, everybody said there's no jobs. So we opened up an employment center, very big at the beginning with one person who made phone calls to every company. And we found over 900 engineering and above jobs available. Wow. Well, hey, there's no jobs. Mm, turns out and then we asked them, why aren't you hiring people? They said, oh, there's no people. So he said, oh, maybe <laughs> we need to bring the circles together. Yeah, so right. the Lauder Employment Center in, in Beersheba has already added thousands of new jobs, not even new jobs. We're helping human resource directors and teaching people how to interview. By the way, it's different. If you have a business and I want to interview uh, uh, Benny for a job in Yoracham, and he's in Beersheba. He's not qualified. Uh, maybe. I'm going to take the risk. <laughs> but in Tel Aviv or Yerushalayim, you know, Benny it sees was, me it was on because, Monday. It was because Russell knows that I work in tourism. He knows that I'm, right. I might have to look for a job. <laughs> And, and he sees me on Monday and I see three or four more people Monday and I see five, four people on Tuesday and I'm going to see somebody else on Thursday and in two weeks. And then I decide, you know what, after three weeks, Benny was the right guy. I'm going to go back. You can do that in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem. In Yoracham, if Benny's the right guy, you cannot be a human resource director like in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem area. If Benny's the right guy, Bring him back the next day and re-interview him and make a decision because he's willing to move there. 
He's willing to take the job, but he's not willing to wait three weeks for that program because his spouse or his, or, or his friends are moving somewhere else. And he is under that influence, and you've got to jump on that. So their jobs are there, and, and what Jewish National Fund is constantly trying to find, what are the problems, and then how to cure it. In your home, you want a house? I can tell you where housing sites are going up. So you could build a house with more square footage than you'll ever have in your apartment in the Jerusalem Tel Aviv area. That's true. And you live in a great style and a great place. So you just got to bring information forward. Yeah, I, I got to ask you, you know, we the, the common narrative, and I think it's largely uh, true, is that, uh, well, I guess I'll split this into two questions. So first, if we talk about the American Jewish fundraising scene, if we're talking about federations, if we're talking about all the major Jewish organizations, they're having a hard time in recent years engaging with new donors, with new philanthropists engaging in young donors. I've, I've looked at this. The money that's coming into the system is not necessarily less overall, um, but the number of donors and especially new donors is shrunk. Today, it's not that, it's not that uh, you know, financial difficulties and, and economic downturn aside, it's not that Americans and American Jews are giving less they are tending to give uh, less to Jewish causes and tending to give more to general American causes. And yet you seem to be succeeding. So what is the secret sauce to why JNF in the USA seems to be thriving where so many Jewish organizations are having a difficult time? So uh, thank you. Our, our fastest growing part of our donor demographic is our 22 to 40 year old. Hmm. The fastest growing. How do you explain Why? that? Yeah. I believe people want to be part of philanthropy and they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. They want to be part of vision. You have to get, you know, there's a lot of great projects. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of great projects. The whole world is full of them. And I can be involved and give and I'll walk away and I do. And I but if you want to be involved in dreaming, you know, take the picture, the backdrop around me. You know, everything we're about as a people is a dream. Everything we're about, not only as a Jewish people, but human nature is about that. That's why you go to the movies, to the Avenger movies. You can't wait for, for Wonder Woman. Okay, Gonka also, but but it's, it's, it's imagination. And I believe that at Jewish National Fund, you could be involved in the detail and the imagination and the building of tomorrow. And it's in a true and a, and a way that you can engage it. We have a platform called From Birth to the Boardroom. So when we are a national organization, so if Benny buys a, a, a tree in Minnesota in fourth grade and, and Dan buys a tree in fourth grade in, in, in uh, Indiana, in South Bend, it's an investment. We're not making money. But we got to follow them throughout their life. And then we try to engage them in Alexander Musk High School in Israel. I told you we're 1,500, we're at capacity. And I'll, please, I got to talk about my, the new village, which is a vision yeah, go built for it. in Beersheba. And, but we'll follow you from birth to the boardroom. We want you to be a leader. You went to Musk High School, Benny. So, you know, if you move to Israel, we won. And if you're doing a podcast like this, we won. If you're living in South Bend, Indiana, and you became the head of the Jewish National Fund or president of South Bend, we won. If you became the head of the Federation, we won. The idea is to keep building winners for the Jewish community and as people and engaging them. And last, you've got to ask, 
Philanthropy does not happen. Nobody gives away without being asked. Nobody. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I think I'm going to give away money today. Somebody had to engage them in some way. And we have that opportunity. We're still a nation of creation. The connection to Israel is part and parcel of who we are from the very beginning of the Jewish people. If we give up our soul because you have a problem with the political issue, guys, this is part of everything that we're about. And let's make it part of knowing, again, not the hallways of the Knesset, the streets of Beersheba and the streets of Kiryat Shimon of the people. And then we're building the Zionist village. What is the Zionist village? Yeah, it's a second campus for our Alexander Mus High School because we need to bring 5,000 teenagers a year on, on a program. And we'll house our birthright groups. And we'll start bringing college gap year programs like we have now. And we'll have college graduates who, after they graduate, spend a year in Beersheba working in high tech at Dell Technologies, at Intel, at Wix, at medical, uh, uh, biomedical technologies that are there. And if they stay in Israel, we win. And if they come back, we engage them because every Shabbat, they went to Shabbat dinner at somebody's home. And they get to know Avi and Avital on a first name basis. And then we'll have adults and bring teachers to learn how to teach is about Israel. We'll have churches and synagogues and we'll not have a conversation about right or left, a conversation about diaspora Israel or Israeli. We'll not have a conversation about young. We'll have a conversation about the common destiny of the Jewish people, our shared destiny. I slammed you down. Yep. You look like you flew. Yeah, it actually. literally looked like you just flew out of your chair you, you, into like, space. You got to the crescendo of your speech and you wow. flew. You, you took off like super. So now you got to see what it looks like. Actually, we were, we were kind of joking on the prep call. We said, Russell Robinson sounds like the alias for a superhero. You know, it's like, <laughs> Russell Robinson, that's, you know, he's really, uh, yeah, JNF man, you know. <laughs> Russell, I, Let, wait, wait, I, I got to ask you this. You know, we, we do a lot of work, both Dan and I, in our respective fields with, uh, with Jewish federations. And you talked a little bit about development. How does JNF fundamentally, if we were breaking it down, does JNF do development differently than the federation system does development? Or other major... I, I, I Look, at. I just will think that... Uh, I'll give you what happened during the, the beginning of the pandemic pandemic and the quarantine. Who knew what we were going to be? Right? March hits, who knew? Um, financially, who knew where we were going to be, you know, was it going to be one month, two months? But what we did know is that we had an army. The army was called our lay and professionals. So our professionals and our volunteers made over 10 thousand wellness calls across the country to our don to our donors our president Saul Lizabrand always says uh, he doesn't call them donors he calls them partners he says when you give to the Jewish National one you're a partner ten thousand now I could tell you how do I know it we have a system you know a Salesforce system I could show you the login ten thousand wellness calls out of that our campaign kept moving in numbers of gifts and in gifts coming in if you would ask me in March would we have ended our campaign on September 30th at our goal? We were all thinking about, do I have to cut 10% staff, 20% staff? What? Not only did we not, we ended up ahead of our goal, both in dollars and in number of donors. We started seeing that the engagement of our people, involvement in our organization, involvement in every aspect of it, we don't fear involvement. You want to be involved in our task forces in Israel? Like I said, 
you go to Kirat Shimona, you get to know the mayor of Kirat Shimona and the people of Kirat Shimona. This is not a professionally run piece. This is a real cooperative of bringing people and engaging them. Our JNF futures, our 22 to 40 year old, our president saw every board meeting every month. The first thing out of his mouth is how many people have invited JNF future to your home or on a Zoom call or Shabbat dinner? How got to keep engaging every one of our committees at Jewish National Fund, every committee, our budget and finance, every committee has to have one, two or three members of our JNF future on it. So we are all about engaging people and involving people. So our difference is, is that the organization's theirs and our vision is not the logo ego of our organization. The vision is how to make the Jewish community stronger for the generation of tomorrow and the generation yet unborn. Wow. Um, you know, we, we kind of talked about this at the beginning. Um, it, it, it used to be the dynamic. It used to be the dynamic that Israel was dirt poor. Israel was bringing in refu- literally refugees from all over the Jewish world. And uh, an American Jewry was well established by that point. And for a long time, there was a big brother dynamic from the American Jewish community. And you've said, you've said this actually a couple of times already. We're not big brothers. We're partners. Or maybe I read it in an interview with you. Um, we're not big brothers. We're partners. And, you know, one of the things that strikes me, if, if we always talk about the, the kind of one of the reasons why there might be tensions in the American Jewish Israel dynamic is, is I think, I think um, that, you think? Yeah, sometimes. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I think that there's maybe an unease with some people, both in the American Jewish community and the Israeli Jewish community, of this kind of, rev- I don't want to say a reversal of roles, because it's not that Israel is becoming the big brother, although that might be the case. But, but you seem to have jumped on this kind of, no, we're not big brothers, we're partners anymore. Um, do you, did you do that purposefully? Did you sense that? Um, that the dynamic was changing, that Israel is no longer, you know, the, uh, like Benny said earlier, the the beggar with its hand out, rather. Israel is now a strong, vibrant country with a, a very successful economy. Um, and, and so when and how did JNF kind of make that switch? And, and, and was it a conscious shift or was it maybe kind of uh, an unconscious shift? A uh, very conscious shift. And we saw it as I go back to the very beginning of our conversation about investment. When I want you to invest in my company, I tell you how well I'm doing. If you think Israel, after 73 years, is doing so poorly, I don't know. Maybe not such a great continuous investment. But everything that those IPOs talked about has come true. And that means that this is the greatest rippling effect and potential investment for tomorrow. Because you don't stop investing on the great companies. You keep wanting them to get better. And, and here's this great institution called Israel that, wow, we made it. And we keep making it. Two, take the two of you. We Listen, there's a whole historical thing. You know, the Theodor Herzl visited almost every Jewish community in the world except the United States. Hmm. Because it wasn't supposed to be here. This was a holding place. There's a whole, I could go for hours giving you a whole speech on the history of that. But... Israelis have a problem because Zionism to them was moving to Israel, and Americans have a problem because Zionism is also engaging in Israel. Yeah. So we allowed this 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 word Zionism not only from our enemies to be an enemy, we built it as an enemy between us. Well, you can't be a Zionist unless you're living here. 
Yeah, that's not what it, who made the definition? So the definition is let's all be great Zionists and let's bring Zionism back. Take the two of you. You're not the Aliyah that I was raised on. I was raised on that poor Jew that had nowhere else to go. We're going to save him. And we did. And now we got Jews today through Nefesh Menefesh. More Jews are making Aliyah to Israel from North America than anywhere else on a consistent basis. And they're changing into a living bridge. And we're uncomfortable, we, the Jewish community, because, uh, well, what about that Jew that got to go get saved? Well, no, there, there's no Jew in the world today that cannot move to Israel by choice. Well, that's not how I was raised. Don't we have to freedom walk anymore? No, that doesn't have to happen. Okay. Do we have to do some airlifts? No, that doesn't happen. Do we have secret operations? No, that doesn't have to happen. Well, that's how I was raised. Well, we have to change that narrative and discussion. And, and by the way, sophisticated philanthropy works. If you're not scared of it, open it. Have real discussions. Have the partnerships. And I'm telling you, people will respond because it's a great opportunity. I could sit with Dan and Benny and I could be having a full conversation and relationship. I could talk about your work in the UAE and I could talk about your work in tourism. And we could talk. And that's why we started virtual tours, by the way, at the beginning of this. And 5,500 people have joined our virtual tours. We've hired over 219 guides and giving them a, a way of living over seven months. Because we thought of them, they thought of us, we started a mitzvah marketplace so that you could order online like a QBC and order products from Israel direct. So small businesses in the North and the South are selling their products and, and at least keeping their head above water yeah. because we know them, they know us. We could have that conversation. Russell, that's that's so terrific it to is. hear you say that because it, it is so important to those people. When this happened, they were literally SOL. I mean, it's they couldn't. It's not like me where I'm a salaried employee of a of a company and I get to go on you know unemployment benefits of some kind. I mean, they were really, really for people that they are still listening are. to this and don't understand. They still are. They still are. Uh, there was no sort of you know package for them. No no sort of stimulus for them at all to 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 get over it or to somehow make it through. So those types of engagements are super, super important. Um, do you, I mean, from your end of it, and, and, and again, I mean, maybe you can go take, a, take the listener through all the different types of uh, JNF Israel trips or, or, or opportunities to get to Israel with the JNF. When, when do you, th- in the current reality, when do you kind of, from your perspective, and, you know, or when does the average American think that they might be able to get back over here? Listen, I think you talked about Passover being when, uh, you know, most Israelis will have who want to be uh, um, uh, with the with the with the uh, inoculated will be. Uh, we're we're planning right now on 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 trips and you can go on JNF.org uh, and we're planning on trips starting in June. We're planning our national conference in Israel next October. Right. And thousands of people, people could join up. If you want to just experience Israel now, go on to JNF.org and go on to our trips to Israel, our on-demand, and and our and you could join a virtual tour, and it goes for a week with a guide live, who we hire, who takes you on a tour to Israel to get you your 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 taste buds going uh, uh, while you're waiting. But as soon as Israel's open, we're talking about uh, we use the phrase "Remember the family, come home for a visit," and. We're, we're one of the large providers of tourism to Israel, 
And as soon as those planes, we intend to load them up and load them up. Right now in Israel, by the way, at Mus High School, we have 110 high school students. Our January session sold out. Our March session is sold out. We're all, you know, so we're bringing our kids that we have our own campus and we could put them in the quarantine for 14 days. So, and, 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 and we have our, our gap year program going there now. So even if you have high school kids, sign up to try to get them on the programs, but we're ready to go. And and the only thing we're doing sometimes is postponing those dates. Yeah. But we believe that by no later than June, we're going to have plane loads of people coming to Israel. And I tell people, remember the family, come home for a visit. Don't, don't not take that first trip. Make it Israel. Where, where, how old were you when you first came to Israel? I was older. So, I, like I said, I grew up uh, in, 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 a, in a family that didn't have much. And so it wasn't until uh, the uh, end of my college time that I was able to come. And I always tell this story because it was my grandfather who had never been to Israel. He'd never been on an airplane in his life. Uh, and when I was probably pretty down about being a Jew, he said to me, Russell, just do me a favor. When you get to Israel. I don't. I never thought I'd go. So when you get to Israel, you go to the wall. Now he had never been. He said, "I want you to go to the wall, and before you touch the wall, turn around and see all the Jews coming to the wall. See all the different nationalities of Jews, and decide if you want to be the one that breaks the chain." Now I always thought it was a great story, but what did he know? He had never been there. <clears throat> and I went there, and I turned around. It was like my grandfather had set up a Hollywood stage of every kind of Jew coming and walking towards me. And I looked up and I couldn't believe that he had set this whole stage up <laughs> of a chain that I won't break. So that was part of my aha moment as well. Um, but that my aha moment, when I'm talking about the biggest project happening in the Jewish world, this new World International Zionist Educational Village in Beersheba, 21 acres of land, that in five years, we're all going to be there. Dan, Benny, all of us are going to be there. And we're going to hear conversations, a Jew from Buenos Aires, from a Jew from Birmingham. We're going to have teenagers from Beersheba and Los Angeles. We're going to have teachers from all around the world. We're going to have adults and young leadership and major donors. And we're all going to be just walking down a quad, having a conversation about our Jewish world and the future it. of the Jewish world. Let me, let me ask you something. Um... You know, you mentioned kind of um, that your vision or kind of the American vision of Zionism is one thing. And the Israeli vision has always been, well, make Aliyah, you know, if, if you're Zionist, come here and, and be part of it. And, and, you know, I appreciate that that you're able to kind of just put that aside and say, let's all work together for, for the common denominator. But at the end of the day, I mean, how do you address as a person, not as an organization, how do you address, how do you think about it that, you know, what, what does Zionism mean? I mean, does it mean to be here and build the country and be Israeli? Um, and, and to say the future of the Jewish people um, is here? Or, or what, what is the alternative? If, you, if you're in America and you're a proud Zionist, you don't even have to be Jewish to be Zionist. Let's say you're a proud Jew and a proud Zionist. What, what does that mean? And, and how does that differ from the Israeli vision of Zionism to you? So first off, the Israeli vision of Zionism comes out of organizations from people who who don't know, as we talked about at the beginning of it, they don't know Judaism from uh, Jews from around the world and, and everywhere. You know, Abraham said, Lech Lecha, right? 
He was told by God, Lechaha, go forward to a new land. That made Israel part of my very existence as a Jew. By the way, before Kashrut, before circumcision, yeah. All right. The only thing before that was Shabbat. And go forward to a new land. We're the only people in existence that have a land as part of our existence. The only. So first, I kind of take that as a pretty powerful piece. Second, the power of Israel is in the power of the diaspora, and the power of the diaspora is on the power of Israel. And, and we work together, and the realities are realities of where we live, but if Israel is a nation of Israelis, uh, no conversation. But if Israel is a nation, we always say, you know, Jewish National Fund people always say this, Israel is a nation of 15 to 16 million Jews, 7.5 to 8 million live within its borders. If we're all part of the nation still of creation, if we believe that, then it is a Jewish nation. If we believe that it is not just a nation of citizens, then we all have an opportunity, not just a right, an opportunity to be part of the great vision, the great building, wherever we are. I won't let anybody disenfranchise me because of some political statement they want to make. Because it's my right, it's my, it's me, it's my soul. And I'm not, uh, uh, and I don't believe that any diaspora Jews should allow themselves to be disenfranchised at all from that. We're part of this great, great nation called Jewish, Jewish people. So, controversial question. When, when we have government representatives and ministers here in Israel that would love to disenfranchise the American Jewish. Or, or the diaspora. Or the diaspora yeah. Jewish population of, of planet Earth. Uh, and you can pick a multitude of different ways that they might do that based on your, your level of observance or where you live or who you marry or, or things like that. Does JNF get involved and say, you know what, we have the ear of certain people. We're going to make a point about this. Or is there an activist uh, sort of a, 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 I don't want to say agenda, but is there is there some sort of activism that's, that's working towards reminding the Israeli government that we are one Jewish people? You know, we don't do that. It's not part of our, as I say, every organization is a different kind of tool and certain tools are good for certain jobs and certain tools are not. Right. But I will tell you that is when I go back to what I tell you about getting to know people, go talk to the people of Beersheba, go talk to the mayor of Beersheba. He knows more about the Aspen Jewelry, I assure you, than anybody in the hallways of the Knesset. Yeah, Ruvik's a good man. And and go talk to the mayor of the Arava or the mayor of Yorakam or the mayor of Kerat Shimon or the mayor of Akko. Go talk to the people that we're talking to during this whole time of quarantine. We're having conference calls, Zoom calls with young people in Israel, with our young people here who are talking about homeschooling and talking about uh, quarantine and, and job issues of the future. We are them and they are us. And if we have those conversations, if we only focus on the political issues, I guess what? Here in America, I don't go to the hallways in Congress every single day. <laughs> and for some reason... The Jewish diaspora leadership thinks they got to go to the Knesset every day. Yeah, I don't want to go. I want to go to the streets of the state road. Speaking of the Knesset, um, which you're not going to, um, <laughs> there, there's there's a bit of a debate, and it comes up every once in a while um, that whether diaspora Jewry, in some form or another, should have a say in the decision making in Israel, whether it should have a say all around, whether it should have a say on issues like the Kotel that touch on the diaspora 
Um, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, would you like to see some sort of mechanism where the where the Jewish diaspora, maybe major communities, maybe major organizations, have some kind of say in in the Israeli decision making process? Okay, they have a say in over sixty eight thousand people who made Aliyah in the past ten twelve years through Nefesh Benefesh from North America. My own daughter lives, you know, uh, uh, in Tel Aviv. She votes. She's part of it. Uh, she is part of uh, a whole diaspora community, and people don't even want to look at that. I, you think Rehovot and, and other places, but in Tel Aviv, uh, Nefesh Benefesh brings together uh, Olim, North American Olim. By the way, they're not the North American Olim that people have in their mind. Right. They're not wearing tzitzis, and they're not uh, wearing yarmulkes. They're there because they love Israel. Now, I'm not saying it's negative to be part of CCC Yamaka. I'm talking sure. about the, the image. People right away thinking, well, it's the religious Jews. Are moving. No. And they want to be part of an Israeli society, and they're coming with the understanding of the diaspora society. So what I tell everybody is that, you know, if you really want to be part of Israel, you can move, and that changes those kind of pieces. If you want to be activists, then... Go talk. There's there's sixty eight thousand you know people made aliyah thousands of people coming all the time. Who are you? talk to the people? Quit talking to the members of Knesset. Guess what? I want to just help everybody with what I found out about democracy. Politicians like votes. <laughs> okay, so go talk to the people who are voting, not to the people who are getting the votes. Okay, and 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 I think we're doing it wrong. If you don't don't believe in a certain way or want to believe in a certain way, great. But talk to the people, get a relationship with them, build that bridge. But should I be making the decisions about whether it's a 65 mile per hour driving or not? And you say, no, but that's what, where do you make the line? Right. Where are decisions going to be made? Okay. On driving, you guys can't be involved. Okay. But on the coattail, you can, so, well, where else? Well, you can on Kashrut as well. Okay. So can I make it on the zoning? No, not on zoning. So you got to, you know, everybody's very good at making lines, but they don't know where the lines are. Yeah, no, it's an interesting approach. Um, you know, a few years ago, I worked on, uh, from a research perspective, on the issue of non-Orthodox, reform, conservative, and generally pluralistic Judaism in Israel. And uh, w- one of, you know, kind of the things I come back to, and I'm asked about often, and again, I approach this um, as a, from a research perspective, how does how do you know something that the the American Jewish community especially cares about because close to seventy percent of it eighty percent of it even is non orthodox and they say you know how can we make inroads in Israel you got to convince people that it's relevant you can't you know push uh, lobby the Knesset if there's no public backing for it if they don't feel so that that's an interesting it's a very pragmatic and kind of diplomatic answer you gave but there's a lot of wisdom uh, behind it let let me segue real quick here and, and we're getting some uh, great comments on our feed and and couple things pop up here. So it's people writing from either the South or the North, and they're thanking you and they're thanking JNF for, for all you do. And every single uh, person here has set, called you both a visionary and a leader. Um, one of these um, visionary things that we read about when we were preparing was something uh, about a billion dollar roadmap. And I'm, and I'm curious what, what that means. What, what is this uh, billion dollar roadmap vision of the JNF? So seven years ago, we had a, we were growing and we were still growing, and we wanted to make leaps. So we set a billion dollar campaign over ten years. Now 
we did something even not by not calling it by the numbers. We sat down with our leadership and we decided if we raised a billion dollars, where we're going to spend it. So we made a decision 25% was going to be spent on next generation. Now, I really tats off to our leadership because in that next generation, that's for investment of philanthropic dollars. You're not going to see the results of, okay? You know, you don't see Schwartz's name up on the building because you're going to tattoo a four-year-old, okay? So you're, you're investing in, in things that you're hoping are going to be great, but they're tomorrow. 25%, and we talked about the Negev and the South and the, and the Galil and the water and, and people with disabilities. And we put down, if we raise it, this is what we're going to do. So I got to tell you, I think it's $740 million into our seventh year. So we're ahead of pace. We're not changing the goal. Uh, but, but people have joined in because, again, it's vision. And they got to be part of the vision. One of the people that wrote to us is actually, you'll know him. It's uh, Nissan Benhamo from Arad. Right. So uh, Russell, Russell Robinson, leader, visionary, the people of Arad salute you. Hi, Nissan. So shout out to Nissan. <laughs> and really, it's amazing to see that that's what the, the comments are of, uh, of uh, people recognizing that. So, so really uh, props to you and to the gym. Uh, but, uh, but I'll talk about Arad because this is, by the way, not me. If you had a thousand of my lay leaders, they could tell you. Absolutely. Here, yeah. here is a mayor who decided to leave business to become a mayor. Okay. Didn't need to do this. Okay, he was very. He came back and said, "I want to help build a rod." Now, in that, it wasn't to build a project. He had a vision. He has to grow population. So, one of the first projects we did is we built a central park. There was no central park in Iran. He said, "So, what's the central park?" We knew that, but we made it first class. If you haven't seen it, go to Iran. Now, the housing sites that we invested in as well. You can't buy a house in Iran. Now we're going to the next phase and the next phase. So. If you make everything, it, there's a lot of parts to what we did as well. Music center as well, and and helping again for young leadership within uh, a business center, the Lauder Employment Center, and helping tech uh, companies come there. But the image—that's why in Persheva, why did we build a river walk and a lake? Is there a river? Because, there is a river in Beersheba. By the way, you haven't seen if you haven't seen our new lake, go to Beersheba, buy a boat. Okay. Shows you how long it's been since I've been in Beersheba. <laughs> so Beersheba, 17 years ago, people, we did a survey. Israeli said, I stopped for gas on the way to a lot. Yep. I know somebody who served in the army there, or I know somebody who went to Ben-Gurion University. Yep. So we knew that to change Beersheba, they had a shopping center. They have a medic, they have a say, uh, Soroka medical school. You know, they had everything if you checked off. But the image was so negative. So together with the people of Israel, with the mayor, Ruvik Danilovich, and the people of Beersheba, seven miles. It doesn't have water in it all the time, but it has seven miles of park, three times the size of Central Park in New York. We just really? finished completing a 29-acre lake, all recycled water in the middle of Beersheba, and we've redone the old city. We have created a 13,000-seat amphitheater, the largest entertainment venue in Israel. And I could go on, but the image now is, wow, how can I move there now? And Dan, that is the village. So that is cherry, changing narratives. Dan has to go back to Beersheba. That's that's the bottom line here. You you hadn't been probably since you learned, since you studied at Ben-Gurion. I went to Ben-Gurion for a semester back in, in 03. And, and that's really the last time I've spent time in Beersheba. It's a different place. You I, I, will not recognize it. I, I listen. I hope to be there in Israel in January, February. So, uh, you know, you can join me. 
I'd love to. I'd absolutely love to. Please let me know when you come. Um, so it, do you guys have projects um, that are focused on your JNF USA? Do you have projects that are focused on the American Jewish community for the sake of the Jewish community? Or is your model focused on Zionism and building up Israel as as that piece of Jewish identity? So for the sake of the Jewish community, Zionism has to be part of it. If you want to grow, if you want to be strong as a Jew and Jewish community here, Israel has to be part of that narrative. So we we are the one of the great uh, providers of Israel engagement from kindergarten to eighth grade in the United States. About 20, 25,000 kids a year participate with us. Our Alexander Musk High School in Israel, we started the Baba Society. By the way, started by young kids. A young guy in Atlanta, Jordan, named Zvi, started a program. He came to us. He says, I got this uh, magazine that my parents get. Why can't I be part of this whole thing? And he started the Sababa Society for Teenagers, which is growing. And it's not to take away from the BBYOs and the USYs. It's an add-on of Israel engagement to it. Uh, I told you we're going to be starting a new program in the next months. It's going to be coming out of taking teenagers to Israel and long-term programs. Must our Roots program, which is a non-academic program that we have in the summer. And all leading towards college. College, we do positive Israel on college campuses. 57 college campuses. We don't bring speakers to talk about Oy Bay Israel. We talk about positive Israel. We bring a, about the story of a farmer who's bringing food on their plate from Africa. Oh, because of a water technology created a place called Israel. Israel makes the world a better place. And then we bring alternative winter break. So if you've been on Birthright, we work with Shorashima on Birthright. We have a program after Birthright, come back and spend time volunteering in Israel, alternative winter break. Then we have our Jaina future. So it's a lot of engagement for Israel. And then, like I talked about, the new international world Zionist education village that we're building in Beersheba that is going to bring world Jewry together in a new conversation. That's awesome. So I got I to switch gears here for a second. I see uh, we, we're friends on Facebook for like a long time. Uh, I see your photos. Best your, friends. Best friends. I see you on, on Facebook. Uh, first off, you're always wearing a suit. Doesn't matter where you are. You're representing, pro, you know, uh, respect. Uh, w- but you're in Israel all the time. I mean, you're here probably, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would say you're probably here like, 10 times a year, eight to 10, maybe 12 times a year, once a month, something like that. Closer to 12. Wow. And you're all over the place in America too. You meet a ton of interesting people all the time because in the photos, you're always with really interesting people. Who are some of the most interesting people that you've met here in Israel? That really stand out. Like, So I'm going to talk about, I could talk about Nisim in one way, not because he, he wrote in, because here is a guy again, uh, to take on a, 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 a rod as a community, uh, I'm 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 always enthusiastic. Ruvik Danilovich, uh, Ruvik Danilovich, number one, he looks like he's going to get bar mitzvah next week. Uh, um, you know, he when he became mayor, he took on he ran against a guy who was mayor for 15 years, yes, who sure. was an Israeli war hero. Um, he, uh, nobody knew who Rubik Dan. By the way, I had seen him one time at a city hall meeting, and and he took. And Rubik Danilovich, that means he became mayor in November. In May of that year, he brought the city together like on an outdoor uh, um, uh, drive-in theater, but it was the city hall with big thing, and he showed what he was going to accomplish in five years. 
And he told his citizens, if I don't accomplish this, don't vote for me. Hmm. And he won the last election by 92% or something like that. Young, dynamic, wants to do the right thing. The people in, in Kiryat Shimona, now in Kiryat Shimona, it was a, a town in which, you know, was, I, I, four, out of 14 members of City Hall, seven of them are under the age of 40. The mayor just turned 40 took on the establishment because they didn't want to sit on the sideline. It's amazing. So, and I'm giving you mayors, but I can give you people that I've met throughout people who just care and want to make a difference. There's a woman named Adele. She lives on the Gaza envelope. She doesn't know anything except for her own family, but she started writing blogs and putting on Facebook and talking about the real stories of, of the Gaza envelope. So I've met so many people and i say this that are really my heroes of of people who are who are there uh and and they're 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 great and and i tell you about the next generation you and all the next generation here in america and the ones that i meet in israel if you are worried about tomorrow don't this is the greatest next generation in the history of the jewish people and they are going to do better than anything ever done before. I believe it. It's amazing. That, that's really amazing. Um, uh, let me, let me ask you something. If, if, um, and you know what, this might be actually, um, this might actually be a superfluous question hearing everything that you said. Um, but, but I'm curious if, if someone comes to you, you know, uh, another louder, uh, even though louder still doing what he's doing and, and uh, really shall talk to him. Someone comes to you and says, I'll write you a check for whatever it is you need to do whatever project it is you need for the Jewish people. What would you, what's your dream project that you would love to get off the ground? I, I go back to this uh, uh, international Zionist village in Beersheba, and I tell you why. You're doing it. You're doing your dream project. I, I think we're in a crossroads. It's where everything you're asking and people are talking. And we have a, an opportunity, I think, because of Corona. Because all of a sudden we found ourselves as the same people. You're at home. You're homeschooling your kids. Guess what? They're homeschooling. We're all doing it in France or in, we're all feeling the same pressures. Wow, it's the first time. So maybe we got time to pause and to think about it, the future. And in those crossroads, we have to start having a conversation that is no longer the one that we're having because the next generation doesn't want to have that as we talked about. They want to have a conversation with Dan and Benny. They want to get to know people. Dan and Benny wants to get to know us, and it's the Israelis that are Avi and Avital and so on. The Zionist village that we're building, it's $350 million dream. It's huge. Wow. But for tomorrow's Jewish community, it'll be the only place on the face of the earth that will start bringing Jews all together into a conversation and non-Jews. Churches to come, not talk about the politics with, with, with a synagogue, but to talk about our history of 4,000 years of the Jewish people, the history of, uh, of Christianity, where it came from, the Roman Empire, all can be studied in a place called Israel. By the way, we're building this village about 600 yards away from Abraham's well, where the conversation all began for all monolithic religions. 
I think it's a moment in our time. I, I'm so passionate. I'm so believer that if tomorrow's Jewish community could come together like this, yes, we'll have all, it's not us running the programming. It'll be institutes. It'll be the Hartman Institute and it'll be Ken Stein and it'll be synagogues and it'll be people utilizing our facilities. It'll be our high school and other high schools. It'll be college programs and other college programs. It'll be interns, all people coming together teachers and 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 uh, uh elders and and uh jana futures and other young leaders coming together and a jew in france and a jew in los angeles and a jew from uh, beersheba and we're sitting around and we get to have a conversation like this and we learn a little something about each other and we drink a coffee cup of coffee together and then tomorrow we do the same and then maybe on the third day we do the same and we find out about your children and my children and then they do what Benny said he did after he finished Mus. He started traveling America, meeting the friends he never knew he had. If we start doing that, that's the world we're in. We're in this WhatsApp, uh, YouTube, podcast world. It's no longer about the borders of our city or of our communities. We're the Jewish community border of the world. And we're all blessed to have a place to come together in called a place called Israel. That's incredible. Yeah, and, and you know, we talk about this kind of new world that we're in, and especially now during COVID times, everything's online. And, and that has it has benefits, not just challenges and not just um, sticking points. And that's, you know, it blurs the boundaries between communities. You know, you don't have to be in the Minneapolis community anymore or in the right. Rehovot community anymore. We can make a new but, community. But, but, I, but I would say, and, and Russell will probably agree with me, there is no no substitute for actually sitting down with somebody face to face, person to person. I mean, I, I lament the fact that this that we're doing this remotely, and it's not because, uh, you know, you're in uh, uh, Livingston, New Jersey, and and we're in Israel because you come to Israel so often. Chances are, if this was you know normal times, we'd be we'd be having this conversation in person because you'd be here or we'd be there or something like that. Yeah. Um. But it, I mean, but it, it'll it doesn't replace it, but it allows you to develop. You know, if you had community that was going this yeah, way, it. It, it allows you to do this and it allows you to have com- interest based communities versus geographic based communities. And it opens up. You have to look at it as something that opens up possibilities. Um, and, and, you know, this is why I appreciate I appreciate your your positivity and your uh, your vision here on this. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, people, a lot of organizations really trying to do a lot with this. Um, and, and right now it's. There's not much we can do, but but once we get back to a place where we are traveling and where congregations and communities can meet personally, I don't want to see the non-geographic communities that have sprung up disappear. I want yeah. it to be, you know, something that just adds to the Jewish world. And, and, you know, and I'll give you an example. This, we talked about, the, you talked about sitting down with people and talking, um, and, and we go back to the UAE thing. I think it's amazing. I've been talking to people not just from the UAE, but from all over the Arab and the Muslim world, all of a sudden, really just the past couple of months, having these conversations. And when I've sat down with the people, in my case, from the UAE in Bahrain, um, you know, yeah, you start talking about the region, and then you start talking about your kids and schools and jobs, and, and nothing brings people together more than just to realize they're, they're human just like you. And... Uh, it's incredible. What, what do you think of all this, by the way, of, uh, you know, you've been doing Israel um, activacy, advocacy. advocacy. Thank you. Activism, advocacy, advocacy, a- activacy. It's a new word. I just coined it. You've been doing Israel activacy. 
I like it. Uh, for a long time. What do you think all of a sudden of four Arab countries within the course of a few months and the possibility of additional Muslim, uh, if we include rumors of Indonesia and Pakistan and, and maybe soon or at least one day Saudi Arabia, what do you think of all this? Again, I think that, again, for anybody who didn't see it coming, you don't have your eyes on the, on the reality of, first off, human life. I believe that human beings who um, read and write and, and understand want to make sure their children are, are safe and, and, are, and that the world doesn't blow up tomorrow. So down in the Arabah, I talk about the Arabah, there's a place called ACAT, uh, an agricultural center for uh, uh, Institute for Te- um, uh, Food and uh, Training. We have about 1,800 students that come from uh, uh, Southeast Asia and from Africa, and they come for nine months and they learn, twenty get 22 college credit hours in their universities and go back, many of them from Indonesia, from places that have no relationship with Israel. And they don't come, they may come to become job seekers, they leave to be jump, job creators, and they love Israel. And I've gotten to go to Vietnam and and Cambodia and meet with them because the signing I'm all used with the different universities and I see them years after they graduated and they come and they're talking and and you've got a guy in Kenny uh, and his name is Kenny he's from Kenya I know it sounds funny but he's a great Facebook if you haven't been on his Facebook or join Kenny he has a company in Kenya called uh, something like Araba Kenya Kenya uh, agriculture he on his bicycle he has the uh, Israeli flag he, you know, he's the greatest ambassador. So people coming together, bring people together. And if we had time, I'm going to talk to Benny and Dan. I'm going to find out where your family, how did they get to Minneapolis? How did they go to South Bend, Indiana? How did mine get to, to El Paso, Texas? We're going to find out that it was a town in Lublin or it was a town in Lod or it was Alsace-Lorraine or it was uh, uh, Spain. Um, somehow we're going to maybe even talk about our DNA and we're going to find out the percentages and where they come and we're all linked and that great. And then we're going to talk about recipes and we're going to have fun and talk about how your grandmother ruined the kefilte fish or made a great kefilte fish and, and, and complained about making the chicken soup. My grandmother are universal. Absolutely. And we got to keep building on them. Before we wrap up, I kind of, maybe something I should have thrown in at the beginning here. Uh, growing up in a place like El Paso, I'm assuming there's a, a big uh, Spanish-speaking uh, population down there. Um, do you speak Spanish, by the way? Yo hablo español. No, no sabe inglés para seis años because mi mamá, papá, su trabajo todo el día. I understood part of that. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> um, did you ever run across stories? Of uh, the descendants of conversos of uh, of 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 Sephardic Jews who had to hide their Judaism and pretend to oh, be there's a great, there's a great rabbi, there's a rabbi there now. He was there after I left. He's done a whole book on 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 uh, on them. He has a, I think it's Rabbi Leonard, I believe his name is there. He was the former rabbi of the uh, conservative congregation. It's a great story. So by the way, it tells that exactly what I said. Here's our Jews that somehow had a Shabbat candle left over from, you know, generations. Or they don't know why on Friday night they did this, but they were passed it down. It's in us. And they're all linked. And when it goes back to the story about Zionism, they're linked. 
by that story of Abraham and our land of Israel. And that land of Israel and that story and our linkage of who we are as a Jewish people, link them, link us. And don't let anybody else ever try to disenfranchise or disassociate us with that. I won't, I won't give up my franchise. Lovely. Really lovely. Um, so maybe, maybe we'll wrap up uh, again. You, you've been called a visionary. You, you clearly have infectious energy and optimism. I say that in the best way. Um, what's your vision for 10, 20, 50 years from now? What, what would you like to see, you know, um, for, for when your, your grandkids are having grandkids, what is your vision of, of Israel and of the uh, Jewish world and the relationship between them? And for JNF. And for JNF. So for JNF and for the Jewish community, I believe it's, again, about the people-to-people, the real people-to-people relationship. I, I, and I don't say it as a tagline. It's going to be real. It's going to be still traveling back and forth. It's going to be part. It's going to be Israel as part of that um, um, opportunity to be part of whether you live in El Paso or Buenos Aires or in Jerusalem or in Beersheba, and that you get to be part of the soil of Israel the soul of the Jewish people. And I see that in the future is that, you know, whether it's WhatsApp or they're going to have something much more ingenious to be able to communicate, it's going to be your children's children with my children's grandchildren, you know, whatever you call it, you know, saying, hey, uh, uh, Avi, uh, you want to meet in London? And the friendships and the traveling across the United States, Benny, that you did and the friends that you have and the people that we know, those are the strength that we are as a people. It's in the conversation and it's in the communication. And don't allow, we've never allowed anybody to take that away from us. Don't allow our leaders of the Jewish community to stifle us. Let's bring it up. I see the Jewish community greatness. I see that that uh, uh, we're going to be the growing and growing and growing and stronger. I believe it in my heart. By the way, the world needs us. We're the greatest thing that has happened to the world. We gave democracy and language. We've given music and science and art. We have given food. We have given spirit. We have given vision. We're a pretty great people. Let's keep telling our people how great we are, not because we want to proselytize only, because it's true. And I want to be part. In a few months, weeks, we're going to be celebrating Tubishvat. Tubishvat, think about this. What other people have a new year for the earth? <laughs> we are the beginners of Earth Day. Don't give it up. We have a new year for our soul, a new year for the earth. We're a pretty darn neat people. There we are. There we are. I'd like to think so. Listen, Russell, the next time you're in Israel, we're definitely going to get together. Dan and I are, are we've been, we've been, I don't want to say converted, but we are definitely uh, major fans of JNF. I've always been a major fan of the JNF, but your positivity and your devotion are absolutely contagious. Yeah, uh, this is great. You know, um, the fact that it's been able to come over the airwaves and come through Zoom into this little room of ours in Rehovot from, well, you're in Jerusalem if I look behind you, but you're not. You're, yeah. you're, you're probably in like a living room somewhere in Livingston, New Jersey. Uh, it's it's nothing less than a miracle in our time. And, and I, I want to thank you for your positivity. Um, it's not always easy, although these days it's a lot easier when, when thinking about Israel and where Israel is in the world. But uh, but uh, ending 2020 with uh, with a positive note like this is definitely a treat for us. 
Uh, and, and, and again, just, um, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. You, you guys are doing amazing work, uh, JNF under your leadership and, uh, and a lot of people here in Israel, uh, the ones that know what you're doing, appreciate you. And hopefully now more people will be aware of uh, what you guys are doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, more power to you and, uh, yep. and, and I w- you continue with, uh, with these successes. And I, and I would just add to that, like, as, as we start ramping up back towards, uh, getting back to normal in the world. Uh, I'm definitely going to be traveling around Israel trying to you know, see different sites, assess where things are, you know, the readiness of different places. I'd love to check out the, uh, the village in Beersheba and, and see how it's coming along, as well as any other projects that, uh, that you want us to expose. But, uh, I'll but be yeah. happy to join them. Dan will you join got them. It. And I tell all of you, go to jnf.org. You can find out about our programs, our missions, our virtual missions, our missions that are going, our trips. Uh, you'll find about our projects, and I look forward to traveling to Israel. Beersheba will go to one of the great restaurants in all of Israel. Uh, in Beersheba, we'll go to one of the great restaurants in all the Middle East in Akko. That's what I know. Good wine, uh, uh, you know, uh, up in the Galil, uh, and uh, you know, and we'll we'll do a piece on it there too. So, you are, sounds, great. It sounds, sounds sounds like it sounds like Russell's a foodie. Russell, do you cook at home? Are you the are you a barbecue uh, guy being from Texas? I, I love cooking. I've always wanted to be a chef. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm just looking for when we open up the Galileo Culinary Institute to have that one opportunity to really dice and slice uh, and, and, and wear the whole uniform and pretend. We're, we're both foodies also. Oh so I think we might have to join you. In, now, uh, ah, now we're talking. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Amazing. All right, Russell, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Ah! Have, uh, oh, you flew <laughs> off again. Flew off the-, <laughs> the timing of when you do that is great. Uh, thank you so much. Have a wonderful. I don't know. Have a wonderful last night of Hanukkah, and uh, a wonderful end of 2020. And thank you to you. Thank you to JNF, and thank you to all of our listeners who have joined us today. All right, Russell. Peace and love. Thank you. Bye bye. Juanced is a joint creation of Benny Shoulder and Dan Fetherman. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. For more information and show notes about this and previous episodes, visit us at juanced.com and feel free to hit us with your comments and suggestions. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you back for the next episode of Juanced.